1: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you with advice and information that will empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. And Today is our last new episode for the rest of the year, and I truly appreciate all the Clarkies out there. I especially want to thank you if you have had the opportunity to donate to this, our 33rd year Of Clark's Christmas Kids, our campaign for children who are in foster care, so they have gifts to open just a couple of days from now on Christmas. So if you want to donate, go to Clark'sChristmasKids.com, click the Donate Now button, and today I get to end our podcast year on the greatest high note I could ever have, (laughs) Clark Stinks, and later, I'm going to talk about electric cars. Well, I actually, I've talked so much about electric cars. I actually want to talk about hybrids today because it was funny. We were in a, um, a planning meeting, and it was really interesting to hear how confused people are about hybrids because it's something I got my first hybrid in March of 2000. So to me, it's just automatic, but confusing to a lot of people. I want to explain the choices, and that is a fuel-saving alternative to electric. And you may be wondering, those of you who watch our YouTube show, why I'm wearing the Santa hat. Krista, you're wearing, uh, you're a little late for, is that a Hanukkah menorah, or is that a no, Christmas light? No, Christmas
0: lights. Christmas lights? And look, they can flash. Guess where I got these?
1: You got them at dollar uh, twenty five
0: tree. I did. yeah
1: And was it a dollar twenty five? Was a
0: dollar twenty five. Yeah.
1: I, I really like that. Thank see you. what you're missing if you don't watch our YouTube show. <laughs> I mean, you these get are to, pretty
0: cool. Worth the dollar twenty five novelty.
1: It is, and they actually work. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, without further ado, it's time to see where I did not successfully work <laughs> in today's clark Stakes. i should have never encouraged you to speak you must think i'm pretty stupid you should
0: be ashamed of yourself well maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm wrong maybe you're right pal I think your position on basic economy fares is out of line with your free market mantra. Why should single travelers who don't care if they get a middle seat have to pay for a seat assignment they don't want? Airlines are simply offering options to their customers who then choose what they're willing to pay for. On the other hand, your position that airlines should accommodate families and couples that want to sit together, despite not paying for the appropriate fare, is unreasonable. The family had the option to sit together. They chose the option that didn't allow that. If I'm willing to pay the extra fee for an assigned seat, why should I have to give up that seat for someone who is unwilling to pay? Please quit telling people they're foolish and wasting money for buying standard economy tickets. People make those choices for a reason, and if you buy basic economy seats, don't inconvenience someone because you chose not to spend the money. People who buy economy seats don't ask people in business class to trade seats. Please don't tell me that airfares are too expensive. Inflation-adjusted airfares are, are as cheap as they've ever been. Love the podcast. Thanks for allowing the rant, John.
1: John, thank you. There was a lot to unpack in what you said. First of all, airfares were very, very high for a while in the back half of 22 and earlier in 23. And now airfares have been going down, down, down. First it was domestic. Now it's international fares are declining as well because there was a lot of built-up demand from all the COVID money that people had, plus the thing called revenge travel. And that has all worked itself out And airlines have added a lot of new flights, a lot of new planes, a lot of new seats. So demand is now much more in line for consumers than it was before versus supply of seats. On the thing of basic economy, the airlines, American United and Delta use basic economy as a way to uh, use as a blocking action against Spirit, Frontier, Allegiant and Breeze and Avalo. The deep discount airlines, and it's been a successful product for them because the fares are quite a bit lower in many cases than they would be for regular economy. What you lose when you go with a basic economy ticket is the ticket is completely non changeable, non refundable. You don't take that flight, the money's gone, and you don't get a seat assignment. Now, you brought up a separate issue about families. American United and Delta block most of the seat assignments on their planes, specifically holding them for their most frequent flyers, the people that are status holders with the airlines. So, when a family goes to try to book seats when they bought a standard economy fare, often there are no seats available that they can book for seat assignments. Then you can have a very young child not being able to sit with their mom or dad. That's not okay in my book, and the airlines should be required to have a method to accommodate families together, and I talked about the thing Delta's doing that seems to be working pretty well where they have seats held back specifically so that families can sit together. Southwest has its method of making sure families get to sit together. The other airlines should also implement systems that a young child is not left stranded separate from a parent. You don't
0: stink, but I believe you didn't understand a question from the listener that just returned from Italy. He noticed that all of his charges were slightly higher than what he paid in euros. You told him that the credit card company was charging him a sneaky conversion fees because he didn't choose local currency when paying. We also just returned from Italy and also use tap to pay everywhere. One euro currently converts to a dollar eight, so each one euro charge will cost us a dollar on our credit card bill when we pay it in dollars. Or am I confused, Kathy?
1: Yeah, Kathy, um, what you said is exactly what happened. You paid in euros as you were on your trip, and then it billed back, your credit card, didn't have foreign currency junk fees. You were fine. The problem is when you're at a, a, a store or a restaurant, and they have the button. That automatically defaults to converting your charge into dollars instead of paying in euro. Then you're paying a junk fee that is somewhere around 10 to 12 percent, most often, sometimes as high as 15 percent for the courtesy of doing an instant conversion into dollars. You always refuse that wherever you are in the world. You want your transactions to clear in local currency. In mainland Europe, you always want them to clear in euro. Not in dollars. And if you're using a credit card as no foreign currency junk fees, then you'll be charged just as you were, what's known as banker's buying rate, the official exchange rate at that time euro to dollars, Swiss franc to dollars, British pound to dollars, whatever.
0: Clark goofed when he took his son and friends to Costco for lunch and spent less than $20 feeding them. See, they're confusing you with a Clarky who wrote in and said he did oh, that. Oh, yeah. But I thought this was funny. Uh, he should have escorted them into the store and taken them grazing in the food sample aisles. He's turning into a spender fella, Paul. <laughs> I do love the samples. I do love the samples.
1: What kind of samples do you like the best? I mean, because you have a very restricted well, uh, vegetarian you know, diet. Yeah.
0: So. No, they, I, I don't remember the last one I had, but they have some really good ones sometimes. I really like them. Like I tried a, um, Siete is this brand and they make these really good chips. And I tried that and I ended up buying some. Okay.
1: Which is why they have the free samples. <gasps> There's
0: a stench in the air and its name is Clark Howard. I recently got an email from you with a story about how Amica Insurance is your number two. The disappointment I'm feeling for a fellow cheapo is staggering. Per your recommendations, I check my insurance policies annually. My auto is currently set to renew with Costco Connect at seventeen thirty per year. Amica, for a similar policy with a higher deductible, is a whopping $5,204 a year. I don't care how good Amica's service is. Almost double the cost cannot be justified by a rational human. What gives? The guy who wears Costco clothes until they're falling apart? How can you recommend an ultra-expensive service when your beloved Costco has it so much cheaper? Thanks, Clark. Keep up the good work.
1: Greg. So the Amica rating is not our rating. That is a compilation of Consumer reports and J.D. Power for claims and non-claim service that they are superior. Now, when you start with Amica, the first year you have to buy in. It's a mutual. So you have to buy in ownership into the insurer and also pay your premium. So getting into Amica is very costly. After that, based on whether you have claims and how they do overall, you get rebates, kind of like dividends that go back to stockholders that come back each year. Are you still a Mika insured? insurer? I am, yep. And do you remember how much your last I dividend don't. check was? But a mutual insurer is designed to do that. So a Mika, there's a cost of joining the club, if you will. Now, by my math, the insurance you have through Costco is one third the cost of Amica and I hear you. The customer service difference could not be enough to make up for paying one third the premium.
0: Thanks, Clark, for having the best podcast on consumer and financial issues by far. I never miss an installment, and your team is great. But, Clark, you stunk it up big time with your segment on auto, autonom, autonomous, autonomous cars. Fee- yes. <laughs> you owe an apology. To Cruz and your listeners, you said a cruise car struck and dragged a woman, but you neglected to mention that the woman was first struck by a hit-and-run driver and then was thrown by the impact into the path of the autonomous car. If the driver of the other car had been an autonomous car, the accident would have never happened. Clark, don't let Perfect be the enemy of good. Autonomous cars are good for consumers, Ed.
1: Ed, okay, so this has caused an uproar inside General Motors, And General Motors, the head of cruise, is gone. They just withdrew almost all funding for the cruise research. That just happened, I guess, two weeks ago. And it is true that, you know, having driven now for eight years in a car that drives itself, um, at least on the freeway, I can tell you it drives better than I can as a human. We expect, though, that if a car is going to drive autonomously, we expect it to be perfect. We don't expect humans to be perfect. And so your statement, perfect, the enemy of the good, whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't let perfect
0: be the enemy of the good.
1: I agree with you. The American people don't. The American people expect automation to be perfect, error-free, So uh, GM responded to that, and basically Cruz has been put into the deep freeze, at least for now.
0: You don't stink, but could have provided more information when responding to the person who received a notice from a collection agency for past due T-Mobile account. You said that cell phone companies often use obscure credit bureaus to check a person's credit. You should have listed some of those agencies and suggested that they freeze their credit at those agencies, as well as the three major credit bureaus. These are just some of the others where you can request a copy of your report and a credit freeze. Check systems, Innovus, Clarity, LexisNexis. And that's from Shelly.
1: Shelly, thank you. You know, there are uh, dozens, I've been told there are hundreds, I don't know of hundreds, of specialty credit bureaus. And there's only so much in our busy lives that people are going to be willing to do. So I've found it to be a heavy lift just to get people to freeze their credit with the three major credit bureaus, and that's going to leave holes in the process. And if somebody is really, really determined to do everything possible, doing what you said makes sense. I have actually done, um, I've already done this with three of the four you listed myself. I've done it with Check Systems, I've done it with Innovus, and I've done it with LexisNexis. I did it because I'm obsessed with credit freeze, but I don't want to put so much on people that they say that's just too hard and they don't do anything, which is why my big push has been to get people to freeze with the three majors, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian.
0: Clark, I love your show and listen to it as much as I can, but you stink worse than the Japanese fermented side dish natto, I believe it's called. You recently Okay, I don't know that one. <laughs> you recently replied to Dylan in Illinois asking, do I have too much insurance? The glaring omission you had was in not recommending long-term disability insurance for him. The statistical chance of d- being disabled six months or longer before age 67 is about 30%, while the chance of dying is only 17%. Please keep this in mind for your listeners that while it's important to provide adequate life insurance, it's also very important to provide sufficient insurance in case of disability. Bob.
1: Bob, uh, you know, that is a glaring oversight on my part because I talk a lot about how important disability insurance is and why people who focus just on life insurance are leaving themselves really exposed. And thank you for pointing out that I had a brain freeze and didn't point out how important disability insurance is. You smell like a
0: beer-soaked bouquet left in artichoke and cheese dip through an August weekend.
1: That sounds really stinky. Yeah, I wonder if that's a real-life example. Is that one worse, or what was the Japanese one, NATO? Yeah, Nat- I don't know. Why do you continue <laughs> to cast
0: dark clouds over newlyweds and stoke fear in the hearts of the unattached with claims that they have a 50% chance of failure in marriage? A closer look at the data, which you are unlikely to find in your Barron's or Kiplingers, shows while roughly half of all marriages end in divorce... The majority of first-time marriages are long-term successes. Multiple marriages skew the results with failure rates of about 67% for second marriages, 73% of third marriages. Clark, we know you're pro-family and pro-household creation. Instead of going dark Clark on your interpretation of stats, let's give first-timers positive encouragement before and after they exchange vows. Dave from Pennsylvania in a second successful marriage. Fingers crossed.
1: (laughs) Oh boy, Dave! Thank you very much. I I don't remember what the frame it might of that have been. When we're talking about couples about. having
0: joint accounts and things like that. There was you did a segment about that, so
1: which I think is so important for success in a marriage that you don't. You have. also talked
0: about prenups. You did a segment on that. That might have been it.
1: Well, you know, with prenups, what I've said, I could never do one myself. Right. I'm too romantic to do a prenup, even though the stats are what you just gave. Yeah. I appreciate that, Dave. And uh, you you were pretty lighthearted with today's Clark Stinks.
0: Was I? Well, it's not me. It's the Clarkies
1: who write it. I just wonder if it's because it's so close to Christmas. Oh, know? I don't know. Well, anyway, I appreciate so much when you take the time because you add important information. You also point out things where I've missed part of the story. You know, I'm just a guy. I'm just one person, and you end up with your brain narrowing over time with an opinion about something and you opening me up about it or making me explain myself better is very, very useful. If there's anything you hear on our podcast that you feel like, huh, what did Clark say? What was he missing? I just talked about myself in third person. I hate doing that. <laughs> anyway, go to Clark.com slash stinks and let me know coming up ahead. I want to explain something that I didn't realize was as confusing to people as it is, how hybrids work and where they could fit in a car or vehicle purchase in your life. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Toyota came up with the first generation of a hybrid. And the hybrid was something that was a marvel to engineers when it was created in 97 and first was on the roads. Didn't come to the United States till late in 2020. But the hybrid has a traditional gas engine and has an electric motor. A lot of the fuel economy used up by a gas engine is an acceleration and so with the hybrid the hybrid motor is what provides the acceleration for a car the car then needs a lower horsepower gas engine and so it burns less gas accelerating burns less gas driving but has sufficient horsepower but at first when Toyota developed it Just like with any other new technology, hybrids sold at a big, big premium. And if you Google the original Toyota Prius, you'll see it was a mini compact. It was a very, very small car and got great fuel economy. But let me tell you, it was cramped. It was not comfortable. I got my first hybrid, a Honda Insight hybrid that was a two-seater. It averaged 58 miles per gallon, and I got it in March of 2000. And it was uncomfortable at any speed. It was a very, very not pleasant experience, but the fuel economy was fantastic. You know, here we are 26 years later, the technology, almost 27, the technology's moved so far, and now Toyota, the leader in hybrids around the world. Has model after model that only come as hybrids. They did it with the Sienna minivan. They've obviously, the Prius has always been just hybrid. And now the Camry in 24, just hybrid. And a number of the larger SUVs only come hybrid because it eliminates the extremely low fuel economy that cars just running on gasoline get. And then there's this other thing that BMW in particular has been really into for years, a plug-in hybrid. And now more and more automakers are offering plug-in hybrids where you can plug in a larger battery than a traditional hybrid would have. You can plug it in at night, and if for all you're running around town, you now have an electric car that the plug-in hybrids available today go often 35 to 50 miles just on battery and then if you're taking a road trip when it runs out of the battery charge that allows it just to be an electric car it automatically becomes a regular hybrid getting really good fuel economy and you fill it up at a gas station like you would any other car. I have a friend who has a BMW SUV that's a plug-in And he buys gas about six times a year. We have a mutual friend who's an engineer who's told him he needs to, every once in a while, just drive on gasoline so that the gasoline doesn't sit in there too long. I don't know if that's really true, but an engineer says it, so it must be true. But this is something that a lot of people look at as a worthy alternative, maybe superior alternative, depending on your lifestyle, To going electric. I believe, as someone who's driven electric now for almost 13 years, that electric is going to own the market because the efficiency of an electric car is so much greater than a gas engine. You know, gas engine, you fill it up with gas, and almost three quarters of the gasoline is burned up, generating no power because the way a gas engine operates an electric car, electric SUV, whatever, has 90-something percent efficiency, that the electricity that goes in it, almost all of it goes to running the car down the road. But there is not one solution for everybody. And so hybrids and plug-in hybrids are both very viable alternatives. A plug-in hybrid, though, will cost you, it's like that price spread I talked about that used to exist with the Toyota hybrids, that there was a much higher price you paid for a hybrid than a gas engine. Not true anymore. But when you go from a hybrid to a plug-in hybrid, for most automakers now, you pay much more money for that plug-in hybrid. And it really is a tough question to justify that. I mean, I almost think of it as better to go hybrid or electric today. And In the future, there's going to be no role, no role for gasoline engine cars that don't have a hybrid power plant as part of operating the car, truck, SUV, because the fuel economy difference is so enormous. I mean, it is crazy how much money it'll save you over the life of owning a vehicle when you have a hybrid versus a traditional gas engine car or truck. So the site is Clark.com slash Clark Stinks because I'm sure there are going to be people who are not going to be happy with what I just said.
0: It's not controversial.
1: I don't You'd think. be surprised.
0: Okay. Robin in Oregon says, you recommend Simply Safe Security System. I was looking into purchasing it when I ran into information that says wireless systems can be jammed. I Googled wireless security system jammers came up with several websites, each offering several different models of jammers. Anyone for less than $200 can buy a wireless security jammer. What would you suggest my options are now?
1: So it is true that wireless security systems, which both traditional burglar alarm companies uh, frequently use today, and all the consumer models, all of them are wireless systems, that criminals can buy these wireless jammers, but the problem is first being solved by the industry with rotating signals. Uh, And Consumer Reports has written a lot about this. And even if you have a security system that doesn't have rotating signals that a jammer could work on, Consumer Reports isn't worried about this. They say that most burglars are... Really, not sophisticated. They are low tech kind of people. They're like, doesn't look like anybody's here at this house. And they break in and they steal your stuff. Break, kick the door, or um, break a window. So Consumer Reports is not fretting about it based on their research. And I trust them in this area. But again, the industry is going to go to rotating signals like happened with some of the garage door manufacturers have gone to these rotating signals, so you don't have the same problem. Think of it like with if you use the single-use credit card numbers, same kind of idea. Even if a criminal intercepted that one-time-use credit card number, it doesn't give them keys to the kingdom to use your credit card number going forward. Same kind of thought process into eliminating the vulnerability with the burglar alarms. One thing about simply safe you should know Is that the monthly monitoring with Simply Safe is pretty pricey, and some of the other self installed burglar alarm systems are cheaper for monthly monitoring. But Simply Safe is a fine product. I have, you know, I did a YouTube video that we have on me installing a ring alarm system by myself, and Um, I was the Keystone cops all in one person (laughs) installing it, and it still worked fine. (laughs) So these self-install systems are doable for a consumer. And one of the big advantages to having them is not for burglars, is you buy a system that includes smoke and fire, because that's the greater danger than a home burglary.
0: Andres in Texas says, my daughter and our family just celebrated her quinceanera. She received almost $2,000 in cash from friends and family. I was thinking of using a program through our bank that was designed for teenagers opening a checking account with a debit card in order to teach her how to use her money slowly and hopefully save it. I also believe that we will have full control of her checking account until she's an adult. What are your thoughts on checking accounts and debit cards designed for teenagers through large banks?
1: Okay, I'm going to shock you. I would treat that money as investment money, not banking money. And I would take your daughter, your 15-year-old, to a Fidelity Investments branch and open one of the restricted teenage accounts they have. The money in the Fidelity account will earn roughly right now about 5% interest, much, much higher than it will at a bank for money sitting idle and she will be able to invest, investing for her long-term is going to be much more valuable. And with Fidelity, you can have the equivalent of a checking account, have an investment account. Uh, You mentioned the debit card, have the debit card. And the best part, no fees. Investing money for a teenager, having a teenager learn how to invest, is far, far more valuable for her lifetime than going to open a traditional bank account. So uh, if you don't mind, go with her to uh, Fidelity Investments branch. They will explain the whole teenage program. And it is a wonderful way to get a teenager fully introduced to saving, to investing, and proper management of money for their entire adult lifetime and do it as a teenager, what a head start.
0: Justin in Alaska wrote this and I thought this would be a nice one to end the year with, Clark. Hi, Clark. Serious question here. If everyone in America was as frugal as you, would our economy collapse?
1: That is a great question. All right. So, Justin, in the short term, if everybody was a cheapskate, it would severely pinch economic activity. In the United States, though, we are a spending culture, and societies grow faster when people are savers and investors, and then the money ultimately leads to more productive capacity in an economy and higher productivity overall, which is how you create societal wealth. We don't create societal wealth by going and shopping at stores to buy stuff till we drop. It doesn't work that way. But yes, you're right that if everybody all at once decided to be ultra, ultra cheap, you might cause a deep recession or even a temporary depression in the economy. But our economy is 70% consumption, seven zero, which may be, I'm not sure, We need an economist to set me straight on this, but it may be the world's highest consumption rate that translates into economic activity. But long-term growth and improved living standards come from raising productivity in the economy. That's the amount of goods and services produced by one person in one hour. That's the only way you actually increase societal wealth. And we underinvest in the U.S. economy. So there are advantages to us multiple ways. As an individual, if we learn to save more of every dollar we make, we create more financial security in our own lives under our own roof. If we have more money that's invested in the economy instead of spent on consumption, ultimately that creates higher productivity in the economy, which leads to more growth, which leads to more wealth for each individual and each family. So yeah, if it was that dramatic, if we all decided, you know, starting on January 10th, I'm only spending money that I have to spend, and I'm not spending another penny. That didn't give us much time. We got, uh, what, Two and a half weeks to get to living that way by January tenth. But if everybody all on that day, all three hundred and forty million of us, whatever it is, if we all decide at the same time, Yep, we're done spending money, yeah, it wouldn't lead to an economic collapse. Completely true. Are you gonna get, with human nature being as it is, are you gonna get three hundred and forty million people all at once say, I'm on spending strike. I'm not spending any money. Not gonna happen. But your point is well taken.
0: But Maybe the Clarkies will.
1: The Clarkies will all become ultra cheap on January 10th. Yep. Is that our new challenge? Forget New Year's Day resolutions. Save more. Save more. Spend Spend less. less And avoid getting getting ripped ripped off. Our mantra for 25 years. Yeah, it still is. All right. Well, again, this is our last new show for the year. So I hope that your next week, if you celebrate Christmas, hope you have an absolutely wonderful Christmas coming up in just a few days and have a very happy new year and have a wonderful time with family and friends. This is a time of year that, ironically enough, a lot of people feel more lonely during the holidays. So if you're feeling a bit lonely during the holidays or a lot, Pick up the phone, call an old friend, call a relative, reach out to others, and you may bring warmth into their lives. You'll certainly bring warmth into yours. And we'll see you in 24.